Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstraveled.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. This evening, the trail less traveled is being recorded on location in Aotearoa, specifically a few blocks from the Te Papa Museum in Wellington, New Zealand. My guest this evening is Bush Doctor Tepene. Tepene goes by the name Stevo and works as a security guard at the Te Papa Museum in Wellington, New Zealand. Tepene is a Māori Irish man from the northwestern region of New Zealand's North Island called Waikaremona. His Māori tribe are called the People of the Mist. Stevo, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me here to your home in Wellington and joining me on the trail less traveled. I'd like to ask you to give us a traditional introduction. And it's called the Pepeha. For those listening who don't know about the Pepeha, it's talking about where you come from, the mountain you come from, and the river you come from, talking about your ancestors. Kia ora. Ko te, ko te maunga Panikiri, this is my mountain. Ko te moana, Waikare moana, this is my lake. Ko te awa, Waikare taheke, this is my river. Ko te waka, Mata Atua Takitimu, this is my canoe. Kote Hapu Nati Apatu Nati Hinikura, this is my sub tribe. Kote Iwi Nai Tuhoi Nati Kahanunu, this is my tribe. Kote Marai Pa Hinikura Tukuha Pa Takitimu. These are my place of sanctuary, my marae pass. It's a place of sanctuary. In Kote Papa, Kingi Winiata, is my father's name. Kote Mama, Moya Winiata, white, knee white, Irish descent. In Kote Tipini Aho, Stevo is my name, or Tipini. Okay, the fight? Yes, so. My whānau, whānau means family. We've been there residing in Waikaremoana, Tuhoi, for 10 generations. 500, 600 years in that location. And everybody, the tourists know this place. It's called one of the New Zealand's 12 Great Walks, and it's called the Great Walk Waikaremoana. See, you can even Google it up. That's where I come from. In the mountains, Na Tamariki Otokohu means the children of the mist. We are Nai Tuhoi. See, so Hinipu Kohurangi was a mist maiden. She was lured down to this maunga, this mountain called Onini in the Ruatahuna Valley, Tuhoi. There they had an immortal child called Tuhoi Portiki, for we are their descendants, Na Tamariki Otokohu the children who live in the mountains and drifting mist and rainforest. That's where I come from. It's all metal roads and all that back home, no tar seals, you're amongst the mountains and rainforest. 
So I go home every three months, say, because I work in the city. And all us Māoris from Tūhoi, we always go away to work and we go home. Tūranga Waiwai means their place where they come from. We always return home to see our family and our mountains, our lakes and our rivers, see. That's where I like going to. And then I come back to work at the Papa Museum as a security guard in the control room, like the airport, monitoring all the, all the cameras and screening people when they walk around in the museum. That's the job I do. So, yeah. Steve, will you tell us about the journey of your tipuna, your ancestors, coming from Hawaii to Aotearoa? Well, Kupe landed here in Aotearoa in uh, 950 AD. And they call it the main migration fleet. He came over first, then he went back and brought some more vessels across. Our main vessel that came across, our waka we call it, with all our people on board was the Mata Atua and the Takitimu. And there's other canoes, big canoes that come across, sailing vessels with sails on them. They come across to New Zealand and settled all parts of New Zealand, North Island and South Island. See? Then the tribes were established there. So my family, I'm, I'm, I'm Māori Irish, half Māori, half Irish, that descent. See, the Irish side come to New Zealand in 1791, 1822, 1846. See, and settled here and married Māoris. Therefore, I'm called a Bitsa. They came here on, some of the ships were 22 cannons on. They came here aged 23, 24-year-olds settled and then they became resident magistrates, police magistrates, stipendary magistrates. And my grandfather, Sonny White, he followed their line, he became a justice of the peace, a JP and a member of the British Empire, an MBE, which Queen Elizabeth Windsor gave the medal to him. As my family settled here, they'd done a lot of jobs as whaling, whaling and mostly and then um, the Māori side, well, we still settled there, but the Māori land wars, the Irish side, some of my family fought for Queen Victoria in the 58th Regiment and the 65th Regiment, fighting the other side of me, which is Māori. Yeah, but sad there. Those wars, called the New Zealand Wars, were 1868 to 1874. Two, three years ago, maybe, the New Zealand government presented each one of my family members with an apology letter from the Crown, from the government, for the atrocities that happened to my family. The Māori side of my family in Tūhoi, where they've never signed the treaty, and my tribe, we're proud of it. There's only three tribes in New Zealand never signed. The other tribes did. They swore allegiance to Queen Victoria. Tribes, it's my tribe, Nai Tūhoi, Tiati Awa from Taranaki, North Island, and Tufari To from the centre of the, the North Island, all around Topo. We all got together and we fight, fight the British. You know, so we are not recognised in the Treaty of Waitangi. So therefore, my family were ordered to sign the treaty, but they refused to. They were lined up and shot. Men, women, children at Lake Waikare Moana. The letter explains that no one was punished. So, you know, we mustn't go around hating the British. So I lied as a young man to my nephews and nieces when they used to ask me, who's those pretty kuyas, these ladies, portraits hanging in our meeting house? 
I couldn't say they were murdered. See, so that all the truth came out, and my nieces and nephews and their forty-year-olds were very shitty with me. But I told my uncles, promised them, and aunties, I wouldn't tell them the truth, what happened to them. See, so they liked us to be humble. Oh, my family all passed on, my uncles and aunties, and so we carried on for them. Be humble. Don't hate anybody. What happened to our family members? You know. So proud to be Tuhoi. Yeah, that's us. We, we say Manamotahaki or the Tuhoi. Be strong. It's our sovereignty. Yeah, because we live in a Tuhoi nation. When people, the tourists, come into our land, our area, it's got big sides on the road. You are now entering into the Tuhoi nation. See, because we're not an iwi, a tribe. We are a nation. Yeah. That's how we go in there today. Steve, can you tell me more about the Treaty of Waitangi? What the treaty said and why your tribe was one of the three tribes that decided not to sign it? All of the chiefs got together about 1835. The Confederation of Chiefs getting prepared when the British government sent their officials across like George Gray and Samuel Marsden and all these people, Captain Wakefield, to get together and with these chiefs of the tribes to swear allegiance to Queen Victoria and give them equal rights. So away they went. Those ones did. And to this day, there's fights and skirmishes going on because they failed to honour their words. This is the, um, the English. So when it came to us, we said, no, go away, which they didn't like. So we like Braveheart, the movie. We met them underneath our mountains and we had a big shoot-up. That was us. So... 500 chiefs signed in New Zealand and 12 women. Those were the chieftainesses that signed the treaty. As you come to Te Papa Museum in level four and you'll see the treaty signed. Now that document has all been ravaged by rats and water. It's a real founding document which is housed in the National Archives also in Wellington. At Te Papa's only the duplicate copies. You had Queen Victoria's officials travelling all over New Zealand getting chiefs to sign, see, from different areas. And then all of a sudden it backfired. You know, they didn't honour their promises to the Māori tribes. Therefore, a lot of skirmishes were happening because the British government come here. Like Queen Victoria sent 99 British Imperial regiments to fight the Māori. And you can Google this up, and it's called the New Zealand Land Wars. The war that Britain lost. You Google that up. That's what it means, see. And that war lasted 1868 to 1874. You're on the trail less traveled, and today the trail less traveled is featuring Tepene, Stevo. And I'd like to back it up now 800 years to when your ancestors, your tipuna, came to Aotearoa on a waka. What is a waka, and where... Do you and your ancestors believe Hawaii is? Well, my ancestors are Honoki Hawaii. That's where all us Maoris come from. See, we set sail, like Kupe set sail from there. All Maoris come from there. Even though these uh, scientists say the DNA Maoris come from Taiwan. We know where we come from because it's handed down in generations. So we set sail on these sailing vessels, a waka. See, with sails. Then you have a wakatoa. That's the difference between the two of them because the wakatoa is a war canoe with paddlers, not rowers. They're paddlers on there. 
and some of them weigh 14 ton up to 20 ton. Yeah, you'll see them if you come to Wellington to Papa, you'll see the big long war canoes. That one there's called Tedimo, and that is 14 ton with 40 paddlers. So you have about 50 to 100 of them attacking another tribe. And then they're rowing in quick, even when they're fighting the British galleon ships, they have to row in quick, paddle in quick, before they lower the British cannons down on them. And then all the Māori warriors stand up with their muskets and let rip. Yeah, that's the difference. So the, the sails, they came across a lot of us, died on those vessels getting here through starvation, dehydrated, lack of water, but we made it. And we also stopped off at Rarotonga, the Cook Islands. That's why you have those Māoris over there called Cook Island Māori. See, we get cheeky to those ones because they decided to stay in the Cook Islands and then travel to Aotearoa, New Zealand, like my tipuna did, my descendants. They kept coming. And then they landed up there in Rotorua on the Mata'atua. And then we came further down and settled in Tuhoi. Tuhoi's a big area. steve where did you grow up, and how was adventure a part of your childhood? You described to us where you grew up in your introduction, your pepeha, but can you tell us about running around in the bush as a child and learning to live and survive in the wild? I got a good, happy, happy childhood because I was raised on a farm with my first cousins and my grandfather, grandmother. See, I have, remember, we all have a grandmother from your mother's side and your father's side and a grandfather from your mother's side and your father's side too. So I was brought up both sides, enjoying my childhood in the country and plus in the bush. See, so in the bush, we used to learn how to catch food and hunt for food. Even to this day, there are no supermarkets or chemists where I come from. So as a child, we used to swim the rivers looking for food from raiding the European, the park is um, orchards. Because yeah, our orchards, our fruit was sour. So we used to get another whacking from our grandmother with a stick. She said to me, why do you kids swim the river and pinch the fruit on the other side? It belongs to those rich Europeans, the park is there. Oh, their fruit is sweeter than Now go and get a stick, whack, whack. <laughs> Here, my grandmother. Then I used to milk the cows and all this hay making. This is a young kid. Then I went to school. Went to school, didn't last long. I got expelled from school for drinking alcohol. <laughs> but my childhood on the farm, oh, the farm life, yeah. But mainly in the bush, the other side. Learning how to survive and what to eat. You gotta know what to eat. And it's there, it's looking at you. You don't have to starve, so yeah. Tepene, you have moko tattoos on your body, and the left side is representing your mother, and the right side is representing your father. I was wondering if you could explain your tamoko for the listeners. They obviously are listening on the radio. They can't see the artwork on your body, but can you maybe explain how it was done and what it means to you? Yeah, so tamoko or tattoo on our whānau, our family, onto our body, especially my body. Left-hand side, my mother's side of the whakapapa genealogy and right-hand side, my father's. It's telling you your identity. Your pepiha is your identity. Your whakapapa is your genealogy of your descendants. See? Cool? So we tattoo on, like, for me, wherever I go on this planet, my family is with me always. Even when I die overseas, 
I die with a smile on my face knowing that my family's tattooed on me. I have no fear of dying. So quite a few of us were all tattooed up the same. We all got the same tamoko on. Yeah, our family, there's no, none of this other sort of skulls and all this tattooed on me. It's the whakapapa, yeah, my pepiha and all that tattooed on me. Yeah, my identity, my family is tattooed on my body. So yeah, wherever I go, they go with me. You yeah, see, dead or alive, you see, it's like that. Yeah, I have no fear of dying or whatever, they're with me. So we tattoo up and we put all our tattoos on right down to our family crest, which is at the bottom of my hands by the wrist and it's called mine honor virtue so yeah one side is irish and my arms on from the center of my chest to the other side is one side's irish and the other side's maori i am called a bitsa people call us bitsas now there's maori irish maori english maori scottish see and also there's some maori french and sicilian russian maoris so we're a good mixture cool can you tell us a little bit about the patterns of the moko and what they represent? For example, the koru. Oh, the koru patterns. Oh, yeah, yeah, they mean all my, all my patterns of my family on there, designs. Yeah, they all mean the meaning. The korus are the twirls that go around. There's an aspect of each bit of my tribal life. We all got the same. There's 25 first cousins with the same tattoos on. There's 25 of us here. Took me a while. I got mine on pretty late at a late age. We used to do them when in the twenties. I did mine when I was in the forty-year-olds. Quite a bit on me tattooed up. We tattooed the front. Time will go up the front. We do the back last because it's your past. See, yeah, yeah. You can't see what's on your back. Always look forward. The old people you know, tell us always look forward, advance forward. Like the philosophies I'm going to tell you where I come from in Tuhoi. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. See, these are philosophies. The object is to conquer the day. And you never dwell in the past. What happened yesterday, last week, last month or last year, never dwell in the past, as I say, because it only eats your heart away. You must keep looking forward because each day is a challenge. That's the way we see it and that's how I see it. The sun, remember, the sun comes up, the sun goes down. Try and enjoy your day, see? That's the challenge, see? How's that? You're on the trail less traveled, and today the trail less traveled is being recorded just down the road from Te Papa Museum in Wellington, New Zealand, Aotearoa. And I'm interviewing Steve-O, who is a security guard at the museum and a Māori man who's also named Tepani. Tepani comes from Waikaremora. Steve-O, it's time to now play a song so maybe you could sing a song that reminds you of your early childhood well just hang on i'm gonna see if the guitar's tuned up okay
This podcast is brought to you by Karuna Clothing. Karuna Clothing is handcrafted from natural fabrics, which soften as they age. Currently with design workshops in Missoula, Montana, and Mendocino County, California. All of their clothing is sewn and dyed in the United States. Karuna Clothing is sewn with love and laughter, and designed simply with the use of the best fabrics. They create their own unique colors, creating small batch product lines, which are simply beautiful. Karuna clothing is the first thing I toss into my suitcase when recording on location for the trail less traveled. You can find out more by visiting karunaclothing.com. That's K-A-R-U-N-A clothing.com. Back to Mandela and the trail less traveled. Steve, I'd like to now talk to you about the old ways of living with the land and the care of the land, the sea, and their resources. Yeah, yeah. So what's happening in New Zealand now is like the methane. Methane from cows and that destroying our riverbeds and creeks and that and it's polluted and children and people can't swim in their own clean rivers or fish no more. But we don't have that back where I come from. Yeah, we just don't have that. It's Papa Tuanuku means Mother Earth. We all come from Mother Earth. See, so the Maori gods, like the sea god, is called Tangaro. See, the sea god. Papa Tuanuku is the mother of earth. See, then you have Tafiri Matia, the god of wind and storms. Ruomoko, the god of volcanoes. And we have Rungumatane, the god of peace. And Tomata Inga is the god of war. See, we have all these gods. We abide by them because, especially when you're swimming in the sea, you have karaki prayer. When you get your food, you, you say thank you. Na mihi means thank you. Thank you to the sea. God, you've got your food, and then away you go. You don't exceed your limit either. The sea is one of the powerful ways of forces is, is the sea god. You never turn your back on him when you come out of the water. Next minute, there's a huge wave come on top and throw you around. Yeah, so... All these gods, we go by the gods. So, and the, growing up where I come from, and even today, we I'm an organic grower of vegetables, and all this. We don't use chemicals. We live off the land. See, so we're toiling the earth and all that sort of thing with our shovels and all that, and planting food. Maharakai means gardening. We garden here, yeah. growing food to survive here. Yeah. Because once again, there's no there's no supermarkets, no shops, no nothing. It's a long way to go and get them, and you're too far in the mountains. Yeah. Steve-O, you're a filmmaker, and one of your more recent projects involves surviving in the bush. Can you tell us about surviving in Aotearoa's bush? Yes, yeah, so about three or four years ago, I started filming, doing films. How I met my film crew is that I was a parking warden, a traffic officer, in the Wellington city. And I ticketed his vehicle in a suburb of Wellington called Mount Victoria. And these two young ladies come out and said, oh, 
please, warden, don't give my car a ticket. And I said to him, you are parked in a residence parking zone. It's a $40 fine, straight up. They said, please don't do that. We stay in that house over there, over the road. I said, well, I'll let you off. Don't do it again. But then I asked these two ladies, what's all those bright lights are going on at your place over there? Oh, we make films. We are directors and film producers. Oh, yeah. I said, well, don't go in the parking there tomorrow. You're going to get a fine tomorrow from the next warden. So as a couple of weeks went by, a month or two, they saw me in Wellington City doing my job. See, he's uh, chalking up the cars and giving fines if they commit an offence. That's the vehicle. And next minute they said, let's do a movie on you. A documentary and all this. Yeah. So they applied for the funding and therefore the New Zealand Film Commission allowed my documentary, the first one, to go ahead. Then I did that one. It's called Confessions of a Parking Warden. Did that documentary. The next one was called Hidden City. They put them into festivals. Yeah. So you have the New Zealand International Film Festival. But before that, you have the New Zealand Film Festival Commission. See, My film crew, they applied for funding to do my documentary. See, That film was called Confessions of a Parking Warden. Didn't do very well. It screened in quite a few cinemas around, probably in the Wellington area. But then I said, let's do a documentary where I come from in the mountains. So they applied for that funding. I think it was 57000 for the funding, cameras, combination, all that, to send my two film directors, the film producer, the sound person and the camera lady, and my film editor lady. So they all come from France, England, the USA, and New Zealand. My film crew, to this day, I've known them for six years. They work with, do films with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, and Scarlett Johansson. Therefore, they had to come back to New Zealand to finish my film. And that one is called Stevo. You can Google it up too. So it's called Stevo, N-Z-I-F-F. Or you can go Stevo Winniata, Hidden City. So you Google all this up and my films come up. The next one I'm going to do, and it's overdue too, is called How to Survive When You're Lost in the Bush. See, how do you live? You're, you're lost out there in the pitch black. How to build a shelter to keep warmth. That's the main thing. How to light a fire. And how to get food. See, so always remember, water travels down the hill, not up a hill. So you wouldn't start climbing up a hill. You go down a hill because the water goes into creeks, streams, rivers, lakes, and finally the sea. See, but first of all, you shouldn't have got lost because you should have let someone know you were going in the outbacks or venturing out. But when it happens, you start to panic, never panic. Light is fading, there's no street lights out there in the bush in anywhere in New Zealand. You have to start thinking, shit, warmth, shelter. Then we start using flax or supplejack, uses ropes to pull the shrub over, and throwing all the dry fern in there for the bedding and blankets and putting all that dry stuff down your pants and all this and your shirt as insulation, see? Cool. So I look forward to doing that film. And I will use 52 years of my life experience handed down to me from the old people, how to survive. You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled and today we're featuring Steve-O. 
Steve-O, let's talk about making medicine from plants. You have a friend here who's a little bit sick and you're making her a Maori medicine. And today we walked around in the bush outside of the Te Papa Museum and you told me a lot about the plants and some of the things that they can cure. So can you just tell us about making Maori medicine from plants in the uh, bush around Aotearoa? Yeah, well that terminology we use is called rongo Maori. Once again, in a lot of places there's no chemist available with conventional medicine. Therefore we use our own medicine which is involves plants, see, shrubs. So my friend who introduced you shortly, she's from the Netherlands that way. But I'm gonna give her some potions of mine, it's called kawakawa. Kawakawa tea kawakawa means uh, it's a leaf but it means bitter. We use it for external or external use, internal, either way. But this one here, I'm going to boil up the leaves and make a potion either be weak, medium or strong to cure this common cold. Anything actually. Back home, we um, there's a lot of plants we look at and we, we use for medicine, as medicine, our medicine. They call us bush doctors. Cool. That's what we call bush doctors, see using all these type plants to cure us. See? And it does the trick, I tell you. You got these sort of plants like koromiko, kawakawa, horopito, kai ahuhi. See, that's a type bracken fern. Toy toy, there's quite a bit. A lot of these plants. And you probably are walking past them if you're living in New Zealand. There might be some of this, this over there in your country. But we know what, uh, and I know what I'm looking at. And I'm about to cook some up for my friend over here. Yeah, oh, Lindley Jean. Today, Steve-O, you taught me how to catch an eel using flax and worms. So can you tell the listeners about how to catch an eel in a creek using flax and worms, please? So flax, um, five types of flax. See, rook is one of them. That's a stronger one. Same thing again, when you're lost out in the bush or, n- or not at all and you want to catch eels, or t- you fellas know what that means, it looks like? Yeah, they call it uh, short fin or long fin eels, but it's a food source, see, it's like a oh, long like a snake, I suppose, but they're not poisonous, but they're nice to eat. So therefore, you get the flax, you pull it out from the root, root base, and then you cut off the top, and if you ain't got a knife, that's fine, you use a rock and use it like a tookie adds. You know, you're rubbing the stone across to cut it off the flax from its bush, and then you make muka. Muka is a type of fiber. You're rubbing the stone on the end there to make uh, fiber. Then you look around and you dig around the bank and get the worms and poke them, thread them through, see, so they're attached to the flax. Then you just lean them over into the creek or river then the eels will come up and mmm, yummy. And then they'll grab and their teeth get stuck in the muka, the fiber. Then you're very fast and yank them up the bank quick. How's that? You don't bang them on the head or anything on the head either. Especially for any fish or the eel. Especially the eel, you bang on its tail with the rock. See, bang it there, kill them straight away. Yeah, that's one way of catching eels. The next one is the fish. Same as here, we call it fafa, fafa ta tuna, or fafa ta tieka, means tickle them. Here we tickle them, uh, same as the rainbow trout. You know, if in the USA, if you're hearing me from over there, even the, 
the salmon, see? So you jump in the creek of the stream and you come towards them with your hands outstretched and you tickle them under the belly. Cool? Probably applies to the salmon too, you could do it to them. But a rainbow trout is like a salmon. So when they're quivering there and when the sun is shining down on the creek, clear creek stream, you start tickling them. So they like being their bellies tickled. Then you flick them up on a bank. How's that? And Steve, well, let's elaborate on what you would do with the eel and the fish after you catch it. Today you were talking about the proper way to smoke eel and fish using brown sugar and scotch whiskey. Let's say that you catch the eel. Pafara means to open it in half. See, open it up. Same as any type of fish. Cut it down the middle of the spine. Open it up in half, see. Half it up. Then you apply, sprinkle on salt, see. The salt is there to absorb moisture. After that, you get you a cup. And it's the moldy style of smoking, see. Smoking that fish up or eel. So, yeah. Get a cup, get brown sugar. Uh, you're making a paste, that's the object. So you fill a cup of a brown sugar, maybe halfway there, and then you get scotch whiskey. It's got to be scotch whiskey, not bourbon or whatever. Scotch whiskey, cool. And then you take the cap off and pour two caps inside that cup, making a well. See, with your finger. Then you get your spoon, you stir around and around and around to form a paste. Then you apply, you put it on top with the brush or whatever, it will spoon and cover the um, fish. See, and then it's ready for the smoking process, which will be we pull bark off the tree, which is be manuka or kanuka, and we smoke it up. See, we don't go to the shop and get some sawdust. We've got trees galore, millions of trees back home. So the object is to pull the bark off the trees and smoke them, smoke it up. If you haven't got a smoker, Get two roasting trays, put a rack there, put the bark in there, and then put the other rack on top. Cool, and smoke away there. Put it on top of the oven. Smoke away there. Cool. Steve, I'd like to ask you about what it means for something to be tapu. For example, a tahunga tamoko, which is a, a moko tattoo specialist. Someone who's studying tapu, which is a Maori word for sacred. Sometimes they are not able to eat or touch others, and they have to use special devices to be fed. Can you just tell us more about studying things that are tapu and to be tapu, like a tohunga tamoko? We have these sort of feeding, these kōreres, or these feeding vessels. There's someone actually on exhibit show in the Tapapa Museum in the Mana Whenua, called the People of the Land. In that exhibition area, they're very tapu. Therefore... He's like a high priest, a tonga, a witch doctor, see. And therefore he kneels on the ground and then the female's got the food on a stick and puts the food on a stick, keeping away from him while he's kneeling down and puts the food in his mouth. Now the other one are called feeding funnels for liquid source food. They put it in his mouth, not touching him, and pour the food down there, down his mouth. Not touching this high priest tonga. Yeah, they're very tapu, tapu fellas. And your warriors too. They can foresee what's happening ahead. They're used in battles with their tribe, going to fight other tribes. They can see what's ahead of them and warning their tribe. Yeah, they're high priests. 
Steve, well, can we talk more about how you describe the carvings that are at the museum? You can tell if someone is coming in peace or coming in with an intention of war by the way they're holding their hands or if they have their tongue out. See, first up, each one of us Māori's got a, a marae or pā, and I mentioned that in my pepiha. Ko te marae pā, see, the difference is a pā is on a fortified hill. It's a meeting place, a place of sanctuary. See, it's called a whare nui. And then you have a marae, which is based on the flatland, easy to attack, really. But our ones are on hills. It's hard for the advancing enemy to climb the hills to attack because there's high palisade fences around these paths here. So how it all goes, and every Māori has got a marae or pā where they go home to. That's their sanctuary. It's been like that for heaps, heaps of generations go there. It's their tūranga waiwai, their home. So when you look at that, and you can Google it up, a whare nui, see, a Māori whare nui, M-A-O-R-I-W-H-A-R-E-N-U-I. You Google it. It's a meeting house see, for everybody to meet. So when you look at that structure, you have the amo is the legs. The rapa rapa is the hands. The mahi on the gable boards are the arms. Now the chief up top in the center He's a tickle tickle, which means he's the chief of the area. Below him is called a koruru, a direct descendant to the chief above him. The meeting house means you're walking into the body of an ancestral chief. Therefore, you Google it up, you'll see the structure. So the matipihi on the right is the window. The fatatuki is the doorway entrance. Around there is called the whakapai is the door lintel carvings. Above the doorway lintel is called the pare. The walls around them are called the rori or the core five five panels. See. And right up the top you call it the tahuru is the backbone and the heke is the ribs. You Google it up there and you'll, you'll see what a Māori meeting house is. So when we all get together and visitors visit the place, the Hokainga, the people of the area, sleep on the right-hand side by the window. The Manuhiri, are the guests, the travellers, they sleep on the left-hand side. See, so they have the bigger space than the Tangata Fenwa, like the Hokainga, the people of the land. See, we make them feel at home. Now, the oldest member of your clan, of your family, sleeps just by the window on the right-hand side. See, cool. You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled, and we are recording the show just down the street from the Te Papa Museum in Wellington, New Zealand. And I'm speaking with Steve-O, who is a security guard and Māori man who uh, lives here in Wellington, but his home is north of here in the forests and mountains. Steve-O, I'd like to now ask you about the missionaries and how they have affected Māori art and carvings. For Kairo, Māori carvings, when the missionaries come here, Samuel Marsden, Lawless from, the, from Britain, now that era is around about the 1820s, 1830s, before New Zealand became a sovereign state or country for England. So Queen Victoria once again sent all these missionaries out and reverend churches, Christianity. But little did they know, the Māori tribes here are the Ringatū, like what I am, they're staunch Ringatū. And 
Ratna faith. But anyway, these mysteries come here. And where I come from, it's called Waikarimuana Te Uruwera Tuhoi. Te Uruwera means hot cock. You'll see it. Te Ure means penis. Wera means hot. It is recognized around the world and on our maps and that, and even on the carvings that you'll see, the penis either be on top of the head because the power is in the head. See, and plus our po, our carvings in the meeting houses, you'll see our chiefs with big cocks. Way, yeah, that's the truth. But anyway, the missionaries came here, and other tribes they found it offensive, so they had them cut off. But they come our way, and we shot them. We'll leave things alone, and that's the truth. Steve, let's now talk about ponamu, and the different types of it, and what it was traditionally used for. Well, once again, us Māoris, I mean, centuries ago, 950 AD, and therefore, especially in the South Island, they came across this beautiful stone. Kohatu means stone, and Punamu means greenstone, and that greenstone in the Arahura rivers down there in Hokitika, South Island, New Zealand, we could fashion it. And there's no tools. See, it was either done by sand and water to fashion this rock into jewellery or weapons, which will be uh, the punamu mere, which is a hand weapon, or a patu. See, these are making weapons. To this day, the Māori tribe that owns all the greenstone, they're very, very wealthy too, is called the Naitahu Kaitahu tribe of the South Island, and it's called Waipunamu. In New Zealand, the North Island is called Te Eka Maui. See, so the greenstone, it comes in a lot of colours. The dark green being kawakawa. The more rare punamu is pahoweka, green and red. The next colour, kokapu, green and yellow. My one that I have for my family, Chris, inanga, green and white. The lady who's interviewing me here, she's wearing her pōnamu, which will look after her around the world, wherever she goes, and her one's called kahurangi, which is green and black inclusion spec marks. Cool. There's a lot of colours in the greenstone. And the tribe, good on them, because that's their resources, see. The big pōnamu stone, or kohatu stone, in level four at the Papa Museum, been there for 20 years. It was gifted by the Māori tribe of Naitahu. It comes on the Hokitika west coast and it weighs 1.4 tonne. And that treasure, or Tonga, is called Tonga Rewa, the fountain of knowledge. See, so there. You are on the trail less traveled, being recorded on location in Aotearoa. New Zealand. We're recording just down the street from Te Papa Museum, and I'm interviewing Steve-O, who is a security guard and Māori man who lives in the forest and mountains north of here, and he goes home every few months. It's now time for another song, Steve-O, so can you share another song with us, or maybe I'll play some Elvis for you. You said you're a big fan of Elvis, a song that means something to you. Yeah, one of my artists I like playing is Elvis, actually. I was about 21-year-old when he died about 19... I think it was 77 or 79. Listening to music is like great things. 
and I'm hoping that my mate bring me some driftwood from the beach, like oyster shells, you know, making things. That's what I make, being Pisces. If you fellas know about Pisces, that's me. There's only 5.2 million of us in the out-of-the-world population. And if you Google that up, they're pretty artistic, creative. Oh, yeah, yeah, Elvis is special. This evening, the trail less traveled is being recorded on location in Aotearoa, specifically a few blocks from the Te Papa Museum in Wellington, New Zealand. My guest this evening is bush doctor Tepene. Tepene goes by the name Stevo and works as a security guard at the Te Papa Museum in Wellington, New Zealand. Tepene is a Māori Irish man from the northwestern region of New Zealand's North Island called Waikaremona. His Māori tribe are called the People of the Mist. Tepene, thank you so much for your time and energy joining me here on the Trail Less Traveled. I'd like to end this show with three bits of advice that you'd like to share with the listeners. When I depart Aotearoa, when I die, the story goes, us Māori's come here, when Kupe come here in 1950 AD with the big fleets coming across, he went back to Hono Ki Hawaiki, loaded the sailing vessels up again, the wakas, and with their big sails on and come back, made another trip. So it was continuous. When us Māoris die, we go to a place, a place called Spirits Bay, right up in the far north of the North Island of New Zealand, and we make our spirit, our wairua, makes its way back to Hawaiki. That is Māori protocol tradition. So, yeah. For me, I like enjoying life each day. So the advice is really good advice is um, always enjoy life every day. Because once you're gone, you can't come back. It's as simple as that. That's what the old people tell me. So deep in it, always remember, boy, enjoy life, eh? Because once you're gone, you can't come back. You're into the blue and into the black. But boy, always remember what happened last week is as history never dwell in the past see it's always advance forward in life you've got to go forward see because each day is the challenge you've got to conquer the challenge see what's set before you you know so either you have a good day or a bad day steve what can this generation of children that are growing up on the world right now learn from the old ways that the maori used to live on the land but said what's happening here with our Māori young people. So you have the pepe, that's the baby. The mokopuna, the next stage up, the rangatahi members are the teenagers. See, it's, they should have been taught in my generation about the good and the bad. Now, what's happening in the world today, especially here in the Aotearoa, New Zealand, is the drugs, see just pee and all this sort of thing. I think the, the marijuana, I'm all right with that. I've only smoked it once age 15 in my life. I don't smoke it no more, I hate it. But it's a bit of a, a drug problem here with the young ones and it's the way that they were brought up, all being brought up by their parents and the, you know, the, the abuse. But hey, you can snap out of that and, and get on the right track. So yeah, the generations have changed. 
the generations when I was there, see the ones my age, it was a different growing up when I was, because things were strict from our uncles and aunties and our old people, grandmother, grand aunties. Today, the same age people, to this day, it's all different. It's a modern world. So yeah, everything's changed. More money and all this sort of thing. And no money where I come from. Well, yeah, all you got is a jam sandwich. Steve-O, why do you think it's important to go walk about and to spend time in the bush with the rivers and with the mountains? Well, I like going home to spend time in the mountains, Awa, the rivers, and the Moana, the lakes. I meditate when I go home, so there's three points. The points, uh, the mind, body, and soul. Like the Hawaiians have a, on their face or their tattoos have a pyramid with a dot above the pyramid up the top means wisdom. The three points, mind, body, and soul. So we go into the mountains, rainforest to meditate, peace and quiet. And then you hear the birds fluttering on the tree branches. That's our family. So we talk the same language back to them. That's how it is, I go home to meditate. Free time, see. So it's good breathing techniques when you go home, it's fresh air. You enjoy life and you, you go into deep thought, see. What are you going to do next? See, and just relaxing and you, you leaving them behind. Like, I, back home, I don't even take my mobile because there's no reception. See, the young people back home, there's no, there's no iPads, there's no power. So it's a different lifestyle. And those kids, my nephews and nieces, the young ones, they have the best teeth in New Zealand because we don't have sugar or junk food back in those mountains. So we live off nuts, berries in the rainforest. See, that's the kids. They have beautiful teeth. And grown-ups, there's no fillings. But I got gold in my mouth because it's a tradition in Tuhoi in my family. My mother, my uncles and aunties, my brothers and sisters and a niece or two, we wear gold on the left-hand side of our teeth and our mouth. But I got carried away when it started to go right around, going right along called bling. But that's a tradition where I come from, Tuhoi, we wear gold in our mouth. And we're pōhara, pō. <laughs> but we save up to get our tradition, put our gold in our mouth. So I said to my niece, because two grandnephews wanted my gold in my mouth when I die. I said, here, go and get your mother. And I said to my niece, here, when I die, you take the gold out of my mouth and you melt it down into two rings, one for him, one for him. See, the gold that's in my mouth is one ounce. The gold comes from America. All in the front is 700 US, 700 US, 700 US, and 185 Kiwi. So the total is anyway of 2,800 American dollars. So, so I've had this gold in my mouth since 2004. So there's about 13 years ago. And it's still shiny as. So it's a different type of gold. It's not the gold that you wear on your fingers, on your rings, because that tarnishes. This is another type of gold, dental gold, see. And I can bite you chicken bones and everything. But yeah, so we wear gold. Steve-O, thank you so much for your time and joining me on the trail as traveled. Yeah, yeah. You're thinking it's nice uh, meeting you guys. So don't forget, you fellas here, when you're hearing me talk, you come over to Aotearoa. You come over here for a visit. The land of the long white cloud.
Katerina. <laughs> Steve, can we end the show with a song or perhaps a haka? Yeah. Each Maori tribe got their haka, their war dances. Our one is Tepuru. Tuhoi means the bull. Taropaha. You know, when the All Blacks play countries of rugby around the world, they use kamate, kamate, kora, kora. That means this is life, this is death. That's what it, that haka is. Whenever you see the Kiwis playing, either be any type of sport, they use that. Kamate, kamate, kora, kora. Tendeita puru means this is life, this is death, my last breath, fight to the end. This is a mighty chief from the Wellington area, Nati Tor Taropaha. I'm not from this tribe. I'm way in the middle of the North Island. So these hakas with the Kotinate Poo means our my tribe, we use the guns. The other tribes use the Taiha and the Medes, see, hand weapons. We use the muskets, either be the Brown Best muskets or the 1874 German Snyder rifles. But I tell you what, you better shoot that warrior when he's welding that spear around. Because by the time you miss him and you're trying to load up another musket, bullet, and down the barrel, he's going to whack your head straight off. So yeah, that's the difference there. But we were the musket people. Yeah, my tribe, Tuhoi. So Google up, Nai Tuhoi, eh? N-G-A-I-T-U-H-O-E. New Zealand. Cool. That's us. Kia ora, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to collecting sound effects and interviews from the most remote locations around the planet. Subscribe to the free iTunes podcast and visit traillesstraveled.net to see pictures, archive previous episodes, and contact me. I'd like to thank my guest for this week, Bush Doctor Tepane. Tepane goes by the name Stevo and works as a security guard at the Te Papa Museum in Wellington, New Zealand. Tepane is a Māori Irish man from the northwestern region of New Zealand's North Island called Waikaremona. His Māori tribe are called the People of the Mist. Tepane's body is covered by tamoko, traditional Māori tattooing which represents his whānau, or family. The left side of his body represents his mother, and the right side represents his father. Tippany is an artist, filmmaker, and bush doctor who often makes medicine from plants gathered in the rainforest. Tippany's newest film is a survival guide for living in the bush. My name is Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and my goal for the show is to take you the listener, back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Therefore, every week I will be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in a similar fashion. The Trail as Traveled is recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana, or on location around the world in order for me to find these adventurers and connect with them in their natural environment. Tonight's episode was recorded a few blocks from the Te Papa Museum in Wellington, New Zealand. Aotearoa, the land of the long white cloud. 
It's the trail less traveled, a community source for adventure information and inspiration. Sunday nights at 6 and Tuesday nights at 10. If the show has ever inspired you or made you laugh, please take a moment to write us a review on iTunes in order to help get the word out for this new genre called Adventure Radio. My adventure tip this week concerns catching freshwater eels in Aotearoa. Dig up a worm and weave it into the fibers at the end of a long piece of flax. Dip the end into the water and wait patiently for the eel to come along and bite the worm. Once the eel bites the flax, their teeth will get stuck in the strong fibers of flax, and you have your meal. Remember, never cut off an eel's head. You kill it by cutting off its tail. Well, that's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, get outside and shred the gnar. Because the thing about the gnar is, it doesn't shred itself. <laughs>